0: This weekend retreat with Father Eric Clark and the Knights of Holy Eucharist, Discipleship at the Foot of the Cross, took place January 18th to 20th, 2019, at Our Lady of Good Counsel Retreat House. These and other recordings are available at our website, goodcounselretreat.com. I didn't introduce myself, but I am Father Clark, the Masters of Ceremonies for the Diocese of Lincoln. I don't really know what the Masters of Ceremonies does or is. I'm still figuring that out. But basically, I, I'm a glorified acolyte. And so it's, it's fitting that we're here together because as an acolyte, you serve silently at the altar. And that's kind of what I do for Bishop Conley. Uh, the, when I was named a, a year and a half ago that Masters of Ceremonies. My priest friends joked around and said, you know, this has got to be impossible. You were like the worst server in the seminary. And I'm like, I know. I think I got the job because I'm the best driver. In the gospel today, Jesus says, come away with me to a deserted place. And isn't that what every encounter of mass is in a way? That we first have to come. See, this is what the art of discipleship is, is to follow. Jesus goes by the lake of Gennesaret, also known as the Sea of Galilee, and he sees John and James and says, follow me. You must be my disciple. Basically, a disciple is one who becomes like their master. So Jesus is seeing John and James and Peter and Andrew and says, I think that you can be like me. Follow me. But if you want to follow me, If you want to be my disciple, you must come away with me to a deserted place. And isn't that precisely what we do here on retreat? You're away from your family, you're away from your work, your neighbors, and you've come to a deserted place where you can encounter the living God. And the living God speaks, we know, in silence. As he called Elijah, not in a thunder. Not in the winds or a burning bush like Moses, but in the stillness and this whisper. And so we come here to listen to God as in silence. I don't know, maybe many of you have read the book, but um, Cardinal Sarah came out with a book a, a year ago. It's called The Power of Silence. And he says this, and I quote, Our world no longer hears God because it constantly is speaking at a devastating speed and volume in order to say nothing. In this hell of noise, man disintegrates and is lost. Noise is deceptive, addictive, and a false tranquilizer. In killing silence, man assassinates God. End quote. That's pretty powerful, Cardinals. In, in killing silence, we assassinate God. Now, I mean, obviously, we're, we can't kill God. What he means by that is in the noise, the constant noise in our life, we can't hear the voice of God speaking. And I know this. I'm guilty of this. You know, you get in your car, the first thing you do is you want to turn on the radio. You know, you get to go work out. The first thing you want to do is you want to put on some pump-up music. You get home, long day, you want to turn on and watch the news. But in killing silence, we assassinate God. And so we come here today to become silent, to reflect with God. So my encouragement and my prayer for all of us, there may be some temptation to kind of talk, to meet some new people. We'll have opportunities for that tomorrow at lunch. So in the rest of the, you got 26 hours to just kind of spend some time in silence with God. Um, the theme of the, the retreat is the, uh, taking from the model of St. John, the beloved apostle. And the first of this talks is going to be on discipleship. And we're going to go through the Mass, this whole guess, rest of the retreat, the different parts of the Mass, intellectually, what's going on here at the Mass, And how do we apply this to our lives to become better disciples? And we take the model of John, who was the beloved disciple, and secondly, who reclined at the breast of Jesus at the Last Supper, and thirdly, he stood faithfully at the cross. And so, what does it mean to say that we are called to be disciples, that we are invited to the Mass? You know, the Mass, in a way, is a two-form direction, that we offer up our prayers to God, and he offers his words down to us. It actually works the other way first. God first speaks to us in the words of the scriptures, and then we offer back our prayers up to God. And so the Mass, we know, is referred to, and we can call it as three different things, We can call it a memorial meal. And in the Jewish Old Testament, the meals meant that you become part of a family. When you enter into a covenant with someone, you first have to take a public oath before God. Then you have to slaughter an animal. And then you have to share in that meal together to say that you have become one. And so in the Old Testament, the greatest of all meals was the Passover meal. And the Passover for the Jewish people, and we'll talk about this when we get to the Eucharist, meant making the past present. A past event that happened in the month of Nisan, which is not a car, it is a car, but that's a Japanese car. But the month of Nisan is Hebrew. In the month of Nisan, the the, The Passover to make the past event present. And so they would get together with their families to relive this covenant, to relive this memorial meal. And so we see in the churches today that Mass is is a meal, it's a community. We come together to be fed at the altar of God. And that's where sometimes, you know, the the church um, after Vatican II kind of rearranged the altar to say this is also a meal. So the priest faces you to emphasize the meal aspect. The second thing we can call the Mass is communion. And communion isn't just between us and God. That's the first thing. Communion between us and God is first. Second, we are in communion with all mankind. I mean, this is why in the Mass we could pray for the Pope. We can pray for our bishop. We can pray for the sick. We could pray for the deceased. We're united with everyone who is in the body of Christ. We even pray for the pagans. And so in the Mass, there is a communion of all mankind on earth. Even though they're not there even though they're not there physically at the Mass, they are there spiritually. And the third type of communion is between us and all the angels and the saints. This is a great beauty to recognize that we here on Earth, mystically and profoundly, go up to the kingdom of heaven, and the kingdom of heaven comes down to us at the sacrifice of the Mass. At Mass is where heaven and earth kiss. We call the mass, also, or we call the church, the word church ecclesia, is the Greek word for calling together. Okay? So just like creation, God called all things into being. Well, every time you and I come to church, the ecclesia, we show the community of beings together. I mean, this is why I love it when I see families coming together to mass. I grew up in rural nebraska mccool junction we had one mass time we had to go to that mass there was no other option now i mean i see this in 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 lincoln with um, some of my high school students i teach at Pius. you know the son's got basketball or baseball and he'll go at one time and then the parents will go at a different time and then maybe sister will go with her friends it doesn't really show the unity of the family and so really the intention of the church was that there would be one mass time, that you would have one church and one mass time, and everyone can go. But because logistically, you know, the churches aren't going to be big enough, that that can't really happen. Okay, so mass is first a memorial meal, second it's communion, and then thirdly, it's a sacrifice. And this is why, you know, we celebrate mass ad orientum, in which we will today. Um, is to to show that it's a sacrifice being offered up to God. The priest is standing in front with the people together, offering up the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ to the Father. And so a sacrifice, you have to ask, well, to whom is it being offered? Well, that's God. By whom? Well, that's Jesus. What is being offered? Bread and wine, which become the body and blood of Christ. And how is it being offered? Well, an unbloody sacrifice. And why is it being offered? For the atonement for our sins. I don't know if you've... Has anyone here ever slaughtered a deer or been around animals? Anyone ever butchered anything, killed anything, besides with their car? Um, We sometimes, because we live in a modern world, you can just go get your meat at the convenience store. We don't understand what it means to have a sacrifice anymore. I mean, it used to be with grandma and grandpa, you'd go butcher the the chickens, and you would would see the sacrifice happening. And there was something beautiful about that, that something had to give itself up so that you could be fed. I recognize this um, even in a, a spiritual, profound, dark way when I was working with Mother Teresa's religious sisters in Calcutta. See, Calcutta, Mother Teresa's home for the dying, um, is connected to the, the temple Kali. And Kali is the Hindu goddess of death and destruction. And she has seven ways in which she destroys the world. And so in order to appease her so she doesn't destroy the world, they have to slaughter these goats and they sprinkle the blood of sacrifice into this temple. And it's kind of freaky for some of my students that I took there because they would never seen a sacrifice. It was kind of like, you know, you're seeing the whole Jewish Old Testament where they would take the bowls and slaughter them and sprinkle the blood on the altar first and then sprinkle it on the people. I mean, our people sometimes complain about incense. Well, we could sprinkle blood on you like they used to. But this, this, this image of sacrifice was amazing to see, even though I think it could have been deplorable, somewhat pagan, extremely pagan. Um, but right next to that temple of Kali is the home for the dying. And in the home for the dying, there's a priest offering up mass. And so the dichotomy between Hinduism and Catholicism one, they're offering up a sacrifice to the goddess of death. We're offering up a sacrifice to the author of life. She has seven ways in which she destroys the world. Jesus has seven ways in which he restores the world, which we call the sacraments. They are offering up a goat. Behold the Lamb of God. The beauty of sacrifice. Um, okay. Okay. So that's kind of just a little intro to the Mass. Let's, let's actually like, take the parts of Mass piece by piece. And the re- remainder of the time here in the next 20 minutes, what I want to do is, is talk about becoming a disciple of mercy, encountering the mercy of Jesus, and then his glory. Mercy and glory. We start off the Mass by saying, in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit god who is love is three persons and by our baptism you and i are encountered in we are you and i are entered into that very nature that our human nature becomes elevated to the divine nature not that we're walking around as gods but we participate and that's why you and i can trace on our bodies, the sign of the cross. God, who is so knowing, knew that he would send his son down to earth and his son would have to pour out his heart for us. And the love between the Father and the Son is so real, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives to give us shoulders so that we can bear our cross. And every time you and I come into church, we also have what the the Holy Water fonts in the back. Um, Just recently I was... Doing a wedding at the cathedral, and there was some young lady from Louisiana. She was Baptist, and she was like, "Y'all, what's what's that thing with the water in the back? What does that all mean? Isn't that kind of weird? Y'all dipping your fingers in it?" She said, "Is that how you guys talking Louisiana, brother? I'm sorry." <laughs> and you know, I said, um, "Well, it's kind of like this." We were baptized, right? And so we remember our baptism every time we come to church. She's like, oh, that makes sense. But it's still kind of weird. And I said, well, do you think it's weird that husbands and wives wear wedding rings? She said, no. I'm like, well, the wedding ring doesn't bring about the marriage. Every time a man puts on his wedding ring or a woman puts on hers, it reminds them of their vows, And every time you and I dip our fingers in the holy water font, it reminds us of our baptismal promises. It's like, oh. Okay. So, we get into the introduction of the Mass. And one of the great things and the beautiful things that we first have to do is we have to recall our sins. Pray, brothers and sisters, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. Well... But in order to prepare ourselves for that sacrifice, let us call to mind our sins. So there was a few years ago I had the opportunity to travel to um, Peru, South America. I don't know if any of you have been to to Peru. It's a 97% Catholic country. The second largest city is Arequipa, and outside of Arequipa is the Colca Canyon. And there was a story that was told about a young mother who was poor, uh, Maria was her name, and she worked her whole life, and they hardly had anything. She had one daughter, Christina. And uh, Christina always desired to come down from the mountains, out of her little rural village, and go to the city. And she wanted to find a job, and she wanted to work, but, she, but her mother, Maria, knew that she could not get a job because of her lack of education and her poverty level. And she tried to convince her that she should just stay there and work in the fields with the rest of the family. Well, one morning, Maria gets up. She goes to her room, goes to Christina's room, and notices that Christina's gone. And she knows where she's gone. She's gone to the big city. She's gone down to Lima. So she takes a four-hour bus, she goes down to the city, she takes all the money she has, she goes to a local equivalent, to like a Walgreens, and pays to have little photos of herself taken. And she goes all around the city, especially to the place of you know, night walkers, bad reputations, the drugs, the prostitutes, and she goes all around in that bad part of town, and she places her picture up on billboards on street signs, on lights, and she just she had about a hundred photos and she just kind of put her photos everywhere and on the back of each photo, she just kept writing the same saying and Eventually, after she ran out of money and photos, she got on the bus and went back up to the colca canyon and A few months later, Christina had gotten herself into some drugs and prostitution. And after a hard night, she recognized that there was nothing that she could do. She had a desire to go home, but how could she possibly go home? How could people accept her after what she had done? How would her mother accept her if she knew what she had done? And one night, she walks down the stairs, and she glances across the room, and taped to a mirror of the bathroom was a picture of her mother and her Eyes started to swell up, and she walked across that room, and she took that picture of her mother off. She looked at it closely, and she turned it around on the back, and it said, No matter what you've done, no matter who you have become, please come home. No matter what you've done, no matter who you've come, please come home. And that is exactly what happens in the penitential rite. We recognize our sinfulness. But God's mercy is greater than any one of our sinfulness. No matter what we've done, no matter who we've become, please come home. And this is the story of all of us men, especially when you think of the story of David and his sin. Remember David, the man after the own heart of God, His sin first was sloth. He was supposed to be out fighting the battle with the military. But it says he was asleep in his own palace. And then he's got this curiosity. He's looking across his palace and sees Bathsheba. She's bathing. And then he has lust in his heart. And then he envies her. And eventually he has her taken into his home, gets her pregnant, kills her husband Uriah the Hittite, and so all these sins have built up in David's life, and he's the king. We're scandalized by sin in the church. We're scandalized by a lot of things, but we should we be? I don't know, recognizing our own sinfulness. David eventually converts. And he writes the most beautiful poem of all of the scriptures, Psalm 51 which goes like this. Have mercy on me, God, in your goodness. In your abundant compassion, blot out my offenses. Wash away all my guilt. From my sins, cleanse me. For I know my offense and my sin is always before me. Against you alone have I sinned. I have done evil in your sight. And that sin was something that the beloved disciple John encouraged us also in his letter, that we should acknowledge our sins. If we acknowledge our sins before one another, God will be faithful to us. But if we say we have not sinned, we make ourselves a liar. St. James also tells us to confess our sins to one another, to pray for one another. I mean, this is why we confess our sins well, it used to be that before church would start, everyone would confess their sins publicly. Could you imagine how that would go today? I mean, going to, this, to a priest, sometimes people get nervous about going to us priests, but it's like, whoa, could you imagine telling the whole community what you have done? Thank God for the Irish who invented the individual confessions. But they used to confess their sins publicly so they could pray for one another. There was no such thing as scandal in the early church because they knew each other's sins, but they could also pray for each other. St. Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, talks about how we should examine ourselves before we come to the altar and receive the body and blood. Remember this when he talks about sacrilege. Those who receive the body and blood of Jesus unworthily bring condemnation upon themselves. So we must acknowledge our sins before we can come to the sacrament of communion. God doesn't love us because we are perfect. He perfects us because he loves us. And in that perfection, we find his glory. And that leads to the next part of the Mass, where we have the Gloria. You know, the Gloria is taken from the first proclamation of the angels to the shepherds. And in the Gloria, we we hear glory to God in the highest. This is like an outburst of joy. In the book of Revelation, John has this vision of heaven. And Revelation 19 says, Alleluia for the God our mighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come. The Lamb has come. And this is why we say the Lamb of God also. John the Baptist points out to Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away your sins. So now that your sins are taken away, you, you've received mercy, now you can behold his glory. And this is why Jesus takes only three apostles up to the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John, the beloved disciple. They were able to see his glory. So, brothers and, I was going to say brothers and sisters, but there are no sisters here. Actually, you know what, there are. Because even at Mass, we say, pray, brothers and sisters, that my sacrifice, even if there was only guys. Why do we say sisters? Well, it's because there are saints present. You know, Saint Agnes, Mother Mary, they're sisters. So, I guess I could say, brothers and sisters, how do we live a life of penance and glory? My encouragement to all of us is to live a life of prayer. And in prayer, the church has basically four different types of prayer. There's adoration, contrition, thanksgiving, and supplication. So my encouragement is to do two things in the morning. In the morning, we should get up and we should give God adoration. I adore you, Lord, for your great glory. And this can easily be done either through contemplation of the rosary or the reading of scriptures or going to daily mass. Adoration and supplication are good things to do in the morning. Supplication means prayer and petitions. We'll talk about that when we get to later in the mass. So it's a good thing every morning to say, hey, i got to pray for Uncle Bill who's having a surgery today. Okay? So we, we pray for someone in our life. Um... And at the end of the day, we should spend 20 minutes of prayer also. And this is where we give thanks to God, Eucharistia. The word Eucharist literally means thanks. We give thanks to God for different things that he's given us throughout that day. And then we spend 20 minutes, along with that, we spend um, time reflecting upon our day and asking God for forgiveness, for sorrow. Any venial sin when we come to Mass and ask him for forgiveness is washed away. Mortal sin, though, remember the criteria for mortal sin? It's got to be grave matter. You have to willfully do it, and you have to know it's wrong. Mortal sin, as we know, brings death to our souls. And so in order to be forgiven, we have to be like David, and we have to go to the sacrament of confession, In the Sacrament of Confession, St. Paul writes in his letter to Ephesians, God who is rich in mercy, because of his great love he had for us, even though we were dead in our own sins, brought us to life in Christ. The Sacrament of Confession is God's merciful love for us. In the Sacrament of Confession, we are reborn, We'll have opportunity to go to confession after this conference for a few minutes until Mass starts. And also later on today, we'll have time for confession. If you'd like to go to face-to-face, uh, you can go to face-to-face with me in confession either in there or if you set up a meeting with me uh, for spiritual direction. So whatever you desire. Um, the sacrament of confession, is, it's recommended that we go about once a month. Uh, if you're a sinner like me, I have to go about once a week. Um, St. Faustina, Jesus told St. Faustina that when we go to confession, the fountain of God's merciful love from his heart, the blood and water constantly flows down upon us and cleanses our souls. He tells her that even if you had more sins than the sands of the world, it would be no match for his mercy because God does not love us because we're perfect. He didn't choose you as an acolyte or lector because you're perfect. God doesn't love us because we're perfect. He perfects us by his love. And an encounter with his love happens in the sacraments, especially the sacrament of confession and the holy eucharist. Brothers, as we close this conference, we must be reminded that Jesus is the face of God Taped to the cross for all to see, inviting us to come home. By the power of his merciful love, he saves us. So no matter what we've done or who we have become, please come home to the glory of the Father's house in the kingdom of heaven. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.